Hey, everybody, there's a great new way to support Echoplex Media. Head on over to eplex.store and you can sign up at the $5, $10, or $20 a month level. Works just like Patreon. You get all the same benefits our patrons get. Plus, you get a discount for items in our swag shop. And coming soon, we have members-exclusive swag that you'll be able to pick up at a really low price. Enjoy the show. Tell me a secret, I wanna believe it Something's wrong with the story you tell You say you're at home, you say you're alone You're not that kind and I'm not that blind Sons of Theo, and we're joined here by Ryan Acosta. 
Ryan, our, one of our returning champions, you've been on the show remotely <laughs> before, and I uh, always like yep. to have you on because your audio's on point. <laughs> Thank you. I have a pretty good setup, and even since the last time um, I was on, I actually really have um, improved my studio rig, so um, it sounds, in my opinion, it sounds even better. Good. We've moved the entire studio to a much larger space. I don't know if it sounds better or not, but it sure is. Uh, oh, it sounds great. sure is nice to have some room here. So, since the last time we had you on, I think you <clears throat> formed uh, Sons of Theo. Yes. Well, so, <laughs> um, sort of. Yes and no. So, the way that it in initially went came about, and uh, there's there's a even an even longer story behind this, but basically, um, I ended up releasing the song that we just listened to um, under my name on streaming platforms. And then I woke up one night in the middle of the night and had this realization, you know what? I need to rebrand this under a band name or some sort of pseudonym. And I was laying there for a couple hours. And then I had this, you know, this uh, idea just pop in my head for Sons of Theo. And like I said, there's, there's a deeper meaning behind it and a longer history behind where it came from, uh, which we can get into maybe a little bit later. But um I just have to say, and for anyone who wants, decides to rebrand or change their name on any kind of streaming platform, it is the most, the biggest pain in the ass I can, you can even imagine because it takes a really long time and you have to contact your distributor, whoever you're using to distribute your music to streaming platforms. Um, and uh, in some cases with Spotify, you have to actually contact them directly, even though it's an automated um, system. Uh, they don't automatically just remove your old name. You have to actually start from scratch with a new artist profile, and it's it's just a headache. So it took several months to actually get that underway. But I'm really glad I did because, um, for one thing, the re main reason that I decided to actually rebrand um, was simply that there are hundreds of Ryan Acostas out there. There are two pro, pro athletes, one pro baseball player, one pro uh, um, a golfer. And then there's some character from a video game with my name. And I also kept getting uh, messages on my uh, Facebook music page from people in the Philippines saying, oh, my long lost cousin and some weird shit like that. So I just got really tired of having to deal with that. And so I decided, you know what, it's, it might be easier to market if I come up with some catchy name. And uh, my thinking was, you know, really the catchiest names are under five syllables. So um, usually typically like two to three syllables is ideal. If you can do four, that's, you know, right in the pocket. So that's within that range. So sons of Theo, just made sense to me. And, um, as far as, uh, the way it rolls off the tongue and it's, um, uh, uh it's memorable. So anyway, so that's what ended up happening. Um, I ended up releasing, uh, some music under this, this pseudonym, but I didn't have a band. Um, that, uh, the one we song we just heard, um, I, most of it was me. Um, the only, uh, instrument that wasn't me was the, um, bass and the drums were virtual drums. Um, but the bass was done uh, by my friend uh, Paul Batista, whose cousin is Evan Batista, who's uh, you know another local drummer. Um, but uh, he, we had done that remotely, you know, uh, when everyone was in lockdown. And uh, um, I, but I sat on it for about a year um, and uh, ended up releasing it um, 
under the name um, under my name, and then I re-release it under Sons of Theo. Um, and then I released another song that I played everything on um, called Old St. Jude. Um, and I actually rendered that entirely in uh, 92, um, 96K. Um, and it's it sounds, it just sounds, there's more clarity, more fidelity. Um, some people argue with me that there's no difference between that and, and uh, 44K, but I, you can hear a difference. I mean, I you can argue all you want, but there is clearly a difference. But I did everything um, with that song myself. Um, but I still didn't have a band. And so um, I ended up uh, booking a show before I actually had a band. I had a drummer I was kind of pseudo working with for a little while, but uh, um, we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> but I had ended up booking a show at Art Boutique last August. Um, actually, let me back up. Initially, I had actually booked a show at Caravan the previous um, summer that got canceled due to Omicron. And uh, so... Finally, a year later, with the same ensemble, um, Aaron LaBelt on bass, um, and, uh, well, I had someone else on drums, but we ended up having Donnie Green play the show at Art Boutique last August, um, last minute, that's, we'll get into that a little bit later, um, and Juan Maserati on keys, and Ryan Walker on harmonica, and they, they were just a filler band, you know, it was just, they were just, you know, backing me, and uh, that was okay. Ultimately, I wanted them in the band, but that just, you know, these guys are in other projects and doing other things. So fast forward several months, actually right after that, um, I started working with this bassist, uh, Mike McCaig. Um, and, you know, initially it started out, you know, I'm just looking for people to, you know, back me on this project. Um, but uh, we just really clicked and um, we just kept playing together. He also sings harmony with me live. Um, really great voice, incredible bassist. Um, and uh, he's, you know, very seasoned um, musician, really, really good. Um, and then he recommended his friend, um, Mark Foglia. Uh, they both actually play in the, the house band for the jazz jam at uh, the Hayward Bistro, um, which is one of my favorite places to play. And I believe I, I heard you mention it on one of your other um, local love podcasts. So that's, that's, that's one of my favorite little places. The sound is not that great. But it, you know what? It's just got a really good vibe. Yeah, the food, um, the vibe, like the the staff there has always food. been real good. At least they don't currently have food. Oh, it, it had been a while since I went. I remember one of the first local shows I ever went to was my friend uh, Frank had a band called Howlin' Dog, and that mm. was back when I lived in Fremont. These these cats oh, okay. were like these cats were a good deal older than me at the time, and mostly like mm. my concert experience had been like at arenas, right? Because mm -hmm. <clears throat> at the time I was well, I still am, but I was like a DJ. So if I was going to local events, it was more likely to be like mm -hmm. a rave. But I went there and they had the food was the food was real good. The show started early, too. It wasn't like mm -hmm. the show. They do early shows. So I don't know if maybe they I don't know. You know, I don't know what changed. You know, maybe they stopped doing food for whatever reason. I just remember the food being real good. The staff being great and the, oh, vibe, the, awesome. the vibe being real, the vibe being real good. And then me being young and stupid, asked I asked if I could put on a DJ event there, and the bartender laughed at me. <laughs> so it's not the vibe, and they get the a vibe. lot of locals. <laughs> but the, you, the locals who hang out there are really cool. Uh, the last time Sons of Theo played there, which was I want to say, uh, um, it was late March or mid March. Yeah, I think it was like March sixteenth or something like that. Um, and that was the first show with Mike and Mark. Um, that we played together after we had been rehearsing for about six months or so um, just when we had some time and they re I mean, these guys are really great. Mark is an incredible musician. 
Um, he, these, both of them are a bit older than me, but they, you know, they've, they have a ton of experience and they, both these guys can learn music like that. They both have, um, background as being session musicians. So they're really superb and we really gelled and they, they, um, they're great. So it's been, it's been fun, um, so far. Well, that's, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And we plan to record at some, I'm sorry to interrupt. Sorry. Go ahead. ahead. (laughs) Oh, we plan to record, um, even, um, some of the songs that are already out, um, where I'm planning on recording us as a band, you know, with a live drummer, not virtual (laughs) and, um, which is fine for the sake of just getting stuff done quickly. Um, but you know, there's just something about having like real drums and it's, um, it just can sound better in a mix if it's done right. So, um, we're going to be, uh, re-recording some of the songs that are already out, put them on, um, an EP and, um, we can get into that a little bit later probably, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. You were mentioning shows you're in the, you're in the East Bay now that kind of, you, you, you're plugged into the San Jose scene, but it also opens up some opportunities to play a little more easily without, Mm -hmm. without so much travel at places like the Bistro or more importantly, Oakland, Berkeley. Have you guys, have you been, have you been, uh, putting your feelers out in, uh, the Oakland, Berkeley area? I've been putting my feelers out there, um, to play more, um, East Bay places. Um, it's been, you know, and I, it's, it had been a while since I really had been into hardcore booking when I was in divided by seven. Um, I did all of our booking and I really had it down. And also going back several years, this is like almost a decade ago. I was, um, um, I, I don't know if you remember, I was um, booking shows at JJ's blues. Um, yeah, cause the owner wanted me to do rock shows instead of just, you know, traditional blues shows. Um, so I got really, really good inside, um, insight into how to do booking and, um, how to approach, uh, venues, um, you know, language, you know, what not to say, um, not to over, you know, send too many emails. That's the number one thing, um, that I learned it can be because these are people who get flooded with tons of bands and artists trying to book at their venue and it can be overwhelming to the point where it's like, I don't, I, I don't even know how, how to, who to respond to. And so, um, you know, in fact, I remember when I was doing that, you know, I responded to a fraction of the artists and bands that would contact me. Um, because you know, um, it's just, it's just a lot and it's, you know, you have to filter to some extent. So I've been putting my feelers out there a bit. Um, we do have a couple things coming up in, um, in July. Um, we're playing, uh, San Pedro square market, uh, it's a three hour gig. We're doing half covers, half, uh, originals. Um, and, uh, that actually was, I went through a booking agent. Um, I had, I had gotten his name from, I don't know where, but I was able to contact him and that we, we it took a little bit <laughs> to try to get that set up, but we were able to finally get that set up for July 3rd. Uh, so that should be really fun. Um, and then we're playing winter's tavern, July 21st. And that's going to be an interesting gig because again, it's an earlier show. Um, because we'd never played there before they wanted to book us doing half covers, half originals from four to seven, like they call it their, their happy hour crowd. And, uh, and what they were offering us pay wise seemed decent. So, you know, we, I thought it was a decent, uh, um, uh, that should, that would just be a good gig. And it turn, turns that into a contact too. That's what, what I was going to say is what I was going to say is one of the things that's kind of harder with booking anything, especially as we mm-hmm. all get older and more into our mm-hmm. like regular careers is 
you know, the, one of the best ways to get your foot in the door at a place is to actually put your foot in the door of the place Absolutely. and get to and know that's, other that's bands that are playing there. In my case, get to know other DJs that have played there, mm-hmm. make friends with the bartender. Like do you got to, you know, you, you're, if, if mm-hmm. they know who you are, they're more likely to respond to your email, even if it's a no, so that you yes. know, not to, you know, okay, well, this place isn't really into what we're doing. Well, there's you're you totally nailed it. And there's there's two things that I, I learned. And um, the first thing is that um, there's no harm in doing a cover gig or half cover, half um, original gig um, when you have a new ish project, even if people know who you are, um, if it's under a new name, new band, whatever, um, I think it, it would behoove any artist to actually start start out getting their foot in the door in a venue just by saying we'll play three hours just covers because then when you come back to them again and say hey look we want to now mix in originals with our covers can we get this date and if they like you and you actually got a pretty decent response they're more likely to actually book you again and that at that point people in that region if it's not your local area they'll at least know who you are so that's the first thing the second thing is something that i actually learned i don't know if you remember um uh the band sit kitty sit from san francisco sounds familiar but i mean um i i did a bunch of shows with them um a, quite a long time ago now but um uh we became really good friends we played a bunch of shows together i booked them at jj's a few times and um and we played some other shows at other venues together um but i had asked um cat downs the singer and pianist from sit kitty sit um about booking because they you know they had done some extensive touring and i and this is a while ago that when i was booking with divided by seven um i wanted to pick her brain like you know like okay i haven't really gotten many responses from some of these venues what insight can you give me and one of the first thing that she said 100 percent was okay before you even email them or call them anything uh go to their site if they have a website look at their calendar and see if they already have an opener for, you know, a show that maybe it's a good, it's a band that would be a good fit for your band and hit them up and say, Hey, I'm, this is my press kit. Um, my band would be a great fit for opening for this band. Um, you know, do you, do you already have an opener? If not, you know, do you think we could open for them? And that actually landed divided by seven, um, opening for Metalachi at, um, uh, Moe's Alley in, in Santa Cruz. And that was their second night, um, and both nights were sold out. So that was a really good crowd. I want to say it was, and that's a, it's not a, a big place, but it's also not tiny. So I think it was about like 500, which is pretty good. It was wall to wall. It was, it was awesome. So um, that was the best advice I ever received. Now, I haven't really done that for us yet because I'm still trying to put our feelers out there and really just get, you know, some shows under our belt. Well, cool, cool. <clears throat> what uh what what place would you like to play most in the east bay like obviously we're gonna we're gonna leave like henry j kaiser arena out of this because that's an arena like where where are the small places that you'd like to see sons of theo like be able to hit up oh that's a good question you know i mean i would love to play the fox theater in oakland but that's uh, again that's you know unlikely. you know um no yeah that that's highly unlikely um you know that's a good question i haven't really thought about it um there i haven't really felt out you know a lot of places in the east bay too much um i sent our um press kit to um the golden bull haven't heard back uh, but i probably you know didn't really um uh present myself in a, 
a way that probably would get us noticed. So um, <clears throat> that's the first thing. Um, uh, there's this little place that's actually not too far from from where I live right now. It's uh, called uh, Mojo Lounge. I don't know if you're familiar it's in with Fremont. It. Um, I, my yeah. parents live walking distance from that yeah. place. I'm I just love to play. It's, it's not not a super nice place, but it would just be just kind of a fun place, little place to play. I like playing small places like that. You know, they're intimate and um, and it also you get um, to know a lot of the locals. Yeah, you might run into a lot of people I went to high school with if you <laughs> if you go there. Not that they'd not that they'd know that you know me, but yeah, that uh, I've been to that. I've been going to that place <clears throat> since probably since I was twenty one. It's been there a very long time. Mm-hmm. There was another place. I don't know if I know it reopened under a different name, and I can't remember what it was. Um, uh, there was this place place called the Nightlight. I don't know if you remember it in Oakland. Oh, there was an upstairs upstairs venue. There's a bar downstairs, um, but there's no there's like a separate door to get into the upstairs venue. Yeah, I can't I can't say that I remember it. There's there's as, several places like that though. <clears throat> as I recall, they actually reopened under a different branding. So, but I I don't know. I haven't really looked into it a whole lot. <laughs> oh, that's 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 all right. Uh, where was your Where's the last place you guys played? Um, we God, we just we played uh, Sofa Street Fair. At, uh, we played the Mama Kin stage, um, which was kind of interesting. <clears throat> and so uh, back up, we had played we played Arputiki on April first, um, and I, it, which is probably one of my favorite sounding venues. Um, and the lights, absolute- the lights too. Oh my god! Oh, the lights great. It's they're hot. Like I don't know if you've been on that stage, but it's it's super hot. <laughs> yeah, even even with the LED, even with the LEDs, there's just a lot of those are powerful mm-hmm. lights. Imagine oh, imagine yeah. back in the day when lighting like that wasn't LED. Imagine how oh, hot god. the stage was. <laughs> yeah, I was wearing a suit at that show, and uh, which was probably the worst idea because it's it's just I was just sweating. But um, then on April 30th, we played um, Sofa Street Fair. We played the Mama Kin stage. <clears throat> which uh, was interesting um and i I don't want to complain because i was i was just grateful to be able to play but um they block mama kin is between um oh god what's the name of the street um uh where original joe's uh, um it's the original joe's is on the corner you have yeah yeah um, is that san carlos san carlos yeah and then so um but they blocked off the street at san salvador so a lot of people didn't know that um, Mama Kin was even part of the festival. So we didn't get a lot of people. Um, we got maybe ten, but um, it was still it was still fun. Was it inside you know, we, of Mama Kin? Yeah, it was inside, oh. which I think is another reason why we didn't get a lot of people. And even um, some of my friends who came to watch us, they they said we had weren't even sure it was open uh, because when we even got there, it wasn't open. We had to knock on the door to have them let us in <clears throat> uh, the, because we were actually the first band playing um, on that stage. Oh, and that that's a little bit rough, too. If people aren't necessarily aware that the that there's a music happening there and then you're the first band, maybe word gets right. around because that's a cool place and the sound in there is oh, really is. good. And so it's like, great. And yeah, I've, I've only been once, but uh, that's that's a cool place. It's uh, it really is. And they were really nice, really accommodating. Um, yeah, the sound guy was super cool. Well, that that's that's great. Yeah, I haven't. We haven't. We haven't. We did done, make a good contact. Yeah, we haven't. We haven't done. Uh, we haven't done anything with Sofa in a while. Uh, but that's a maybe that's a tale for another day. Yeah. Um, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm. I was grateful to play. This was my third time playing Sofa. Um, Divided by Seven played at the uh, Miami Beach Club stage. Um, 
I'm trying to think maybe 2017, 2018, I, I, maybe 2017, something like that. That year did you, was, <clears throat> was shark in the water on the billing with you, with you that year? Oh, God. No, you know what? That might've been 20, 2018. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the fall, I want to say, I, I, I honestly, anyway. it's, it's, but, um, who was it that played? Um, El Guapo went before us. So did, um, oh God, oh, Craven. Um, and the, clo- oh, and I th- want to say Black Cat Path. I, I'm surprised I even remember this. Um, I, there was one other band after them. And then, um, it was Dress the Dead who closed that stage. And I think all of us who played the stage, who hung out for the rest of um, the show, just said, "Man, I'm glad I wasn't the band to go on right before them." <laughs> and I'm, they, you know what? they that, were just—they were so, so great. By the way, that Pierre like <clears throat> opens up that space for Sofa, even though like that's not what that space generally does. You know what I'm saying? Because right. he's like they've got the most popular, <clears throat> the most popular Latin club possibly in the Bay Area right. there. And he just no, opens it, it up for Sofa. Good. That's great. P- and Pierre, like from the ve- from the very first time I started getting involved in the music scene here, both uh, my my favorite people to work with have been Pierre and uh, Drew. Uh, oh yeah, they've Drew. always been really nice to me. Like um, yeah. because I met them initially through my cousin Tony, um, and I don't know if uh, my cousin he goes by Tony Two Tone. Um, he used to be the head booker at the Gilman in in Berkeley, and uh, he uh, he did a lot of shows there. He was there for about ten years. Um, and so he's the one who entered. So I met, um, Pierre and, um, and drew through my cousin because they, he did a few shows there, um, with, he was also in a band. Um, uh, Oh God, what was the name of his band? I'm totally blanking on this right now. Um, he's going to totally kill me when he sees this. Um, but Oh, jokes for feelings. That was the name of his band. They, and they had done a show with sweet Haya there when sweet Haya was just starting out. Um, and, uh, he had also booked them at the Gilman. So, um, so I, because of that connection, they were always, they've always treated me really well. My first, my, the first time I met Drew is I was playing, I met Drew and Pierre that night. I was playing an after party mm-hmm. for like an anime con. I'd just mm-hmm. gotten booked by the promoter. Right. So the person before me was playing, I don't know if you know what kind of chip tunes are. It's like, a, it's like music. Basically a lot of times they'll like re like rewire an old Commodore 64 or an old Game Boy and turn it into a synthesizer. That's it, awesome. It sounds cool, right? But there's no bass. And I, oh. so it's fine, whatever. It's just a different kind of music. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was in that red room. And so I went up there and I was like, oh, I don't know what's, I don't you know what's going on here. So I plugged in my equipment and I was going to play breaks and I mm-hmm. hit the fucking play button and my vision went blurry. Because if you remember that red room, there's just, there was just bass bins everywhere. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh my Are you God, talking I about love the middle room? I'm sorry. Are you talking about the middle room? Uh, I'm talking about the back room. Oh, okay. That, that, the room that was like a, a hallway. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's actually what I'm, oh, that room. Yeah. That we called that just seemed like a huge waste of space. That room was like, <laughs> I loved that room just because, oh my God, it just that we, we called it the boom room from there on out because it was like the up, times up. that I played there. That was just where we would just store our gear. Oh, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. They, we, <laughs> I played it. I've, I've played in that room. That's probably the room I played most in uh, San oh, really? Jose okay. when I've played indoors. I think the thing I've played most is bike party, but I, that's Are you the, talking in, about, so you're talking about back bar sofa, right? I'm well, I'm talking on the other side. Oh, on the other side. Okay. Then I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's yeah. It's anyway, but that's, that's how I met uh, Drew and Pierre was, I okay. was impressed by, uh, I was impressed. First of all, stunned and then impressed by the, uh, bass bins that they had. So 
that was, and they've they've always been super cool. Like like anytime I've had like anytime I had a weird idea for a show or whatever, mm-hmm. I would just contact Pierre and he I'd be like, you know, I don't think we're gonna make any money or whatever, and he'd be like, let's have some fun, let's have a party. So, because he's they they make so much he makes so much goddamn money on mm-hmm. the on the other club, and I I don't think they do that anymore. I don't think that their their space is available to uh, us anymore. I think that he's just doing uh, Bezos now. Mm. Do you know if if uh, uh, Backbar Sofa ever reopened? I don't, that yeah, I don't think it did. Oh, yeah, because I I haven't I haven't heard anything. Yeah, that yeah, I don't think I don't think <clears> it did. <throat> but that's 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 uh, neither here nor there. Yeah. I kind of want to. I kind of want to talk a little bit now about uh, Fat Hat Music. If you, okay, if you want to, if you want to do that. So it, the the way it started out. Now this this there's a little bit of history behind this. So when I was doing booking, um, my nickname um, now was I think it was actually Curtis uh, Meacham uh, from uh, uh, Monkey who who said you you know when you're doing booking you got to come up with a nickname and somehow I don't remember how it came up but you know I got the nickname Fat Hat and then. Um, I just kind of um, that I just kind of went with that, and my thinking on that name. And at the time, I was wearing this um, uh, Trilby style fedora, and um, so that was kind of fitting. It just kind of became a thing um, that I was kind of known for or recognized for, I guess. But um, my thinking behind the meaning of the name is that it's just this uh, bottomless pit of a magic hat for creative ideas. So that's kind of where the image that kind of came to my mind when um, I started using that. Um, flash forward, when I was in Divided by Seven, we were um, trying to come. We were trying. We were basically going to publish our own music, and so I started my um, own publishing entity, um, registered with ASCAP, and um, just to kind of just to publish our you know our own music. And um, my intention was to turn it into an indie label long term. That band broke up. Um, I kind of sat on it for a little bit. I still had the name, you know, registered. Um, and I decided to basically put my entire business, you know, because I'm, as many know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a music teacher. Um, I actually teach at a music school in Palo Alto called new Mozart school of music. Um, but I also have my own, uh, teaching practice. Um, and over the pandemic, I started, um, doing everything virtually. So I decided to, instead of registering my business under my name again, I just decided to register it under Fat Hat Music. Um, But then I decided I really want to put everything under one umbrella. So I decided to launch it as a publishing company for publishing uh, not only recorded works, but also publishing sheet music um, and educational materials and also for uh, music lessons and music videos and um, music content. So it's, uh, and then it turned into basically um, an indie record label. Right now, you know, I, I have, you know, Sons of Theo. Um, th- I did a project, on, uh, you know, Randall Aubrey. Yes. So we uh, recorded a, um, it, there's still some stuff that needs to be worked out with that. Um, but we started tracking um, an EP for him. Um, and he'd have, he'd have to actually tell you because I don't want to um, divulge what songs we recorded. There's one cover and two originals. Um, and I played uh, bass and guitar on on that. Um, he played he played uh, um, some acoustic guitar, but I played quite a bit of um, a guitar and bass. Um, any electric stuff on there was me. Um, and then I did the production. I did the you know engineering. I did uh, mixing, and uh, we'll eventually master it um, once it actually gets finished and everything. And that'll um, hopefully be out sooner than later. Um, and I'm going to release that under, under my label, but you know, it, it's my, my thinking is I, 
I wanted to help um, up and coming artists get their music out there, not to take ownership of their music. You know, I'm just a distributor. I'm just a publisher. Um, I want you to own 100% of your music. So that's kind of where, where it's at right now. And um, uh, I just actually released a my first uh, guitar instruction book. Oh, cool. Which is the, fir- the first of a three-part series. Um, and it's av- it's also available as an ebook. Um, uh, which I don't know if that's going to sell more than the physical copy. It really doesn't matter. Um, whatever gets people buying it and using it. Um, right now I'm actually offering it to other guitar teachers. Um, and I'm offering them a free copy, you know, just, you know, just to see if they want to use it. And ultimately that helps me because if they start using that, then their students buy it for me. Right. And so, if they end up, um, if they end up not using it or whatever, you can ask why, and maybe you, you, you could learn yeah, a little and bit. I can, and I can the, get do, feedback. Do a better and, job. Absolutely. And, and that's exactly why I'm, I'm offering that because I can get some feedback from them. See, and ask, you know, what would you like to see in this in the future in future editions? Because I do, there are a few things that I know that I'm going to want to add to it later. Um, you know, even when I went through back through after, you know, getting my, my first couple proofs back and saying, uh, you know, maybe I might want to add a, a, these things later for right now. It's pretty solid, but there are a couple things I might want to, you know, change in the future. Um, but it's part of a three book series. I'm planning on, um, I'm also working on a, uh, lead guitar book, um, that will be out. I'm hoping sometime at the beginning of next year. Um, and then, um, hopefully it, I would, I would like to, it to be done sooner, but it's such an arduous process and, and it just, because I'm doing everything, you know, I do my own, uh, graphic design. I do my own, uh, formatting. Um, I do my own editing. Your struggle um, is not unknown to me. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. Um, <laughs> it's the, that's the thing. It's like because my whole idea of starting um, Fat Hat Music was I want to do everything under one roof. You know, um, rather than outsourcing to someone else, I want it to be my own thing. I'm even do for even my album art. I'm doing all of that um, for the single for Ready or Not. Um, I did the artwork for that, and actually, that was taken from. Uh, something uh, a comic strip that I did when I was 15. That's cool. And I thought that you know what I kind of want to resurrect this character and use it in some of my album art. I think that you know it's it's a really ridiculous character, and um, I can get into what that character is about if you want, but it's really stupid. It's my my uh, juvenile 15 year old self <laughs> thinking something is funny that my adult self still kind of thinks is funny, but probably not enough to share <laughs> that's, that's all right actually um it's all right with you i'd like to take a break and play this uh old saint jude, jude song sure great um and uh everybody we're here with uh, ryan acosta of sons of theo and uh we'll be back after this song which by the way i've never heard because it's a brand new song and i knew i was having you brand new to me <laughs> and so i knew i knew okay. i was having you on so i was like well i'm not going to listen to it until i have him on we'll be back in a minute everybody
back Hold his hands to his chest One last heart attack Train is rolling down So thundering and loud Hold your hands to your ears And shout this final sound Oh by Sons of Theo. So either that song was more suited to you vocally or you have grown as a vocalist. Uh, so it's interesting you should say that because even after that, uh, so I actually did get voice lessons in between. Um, but even after that, I did take a voice lesson from a friend of mine um, after the release of Old St. Jude. And since then, I my voice has actually even gotten better than that, which is one of the reasons why I want to re- redo it and put it on an EP. Um, uh, probably, you know, I don't know when that's going to get done, but, um, but, uh, yeah, I would definitely say there's definitely an improvement. There's also a, an improvement in production. I noticed um, that too. Yeah. The, especially the drums, even though you were saying they're, uh, they're drums, the drums sound like a little, yeah. little more swing. It sounds like in there, there's that, but there's also, um, so there, there, there are a couple things. One, um, the, uh, ready or not was rendered in 44 K. Um, Old St. Jude was rendered in 96K. You get a little more dynamic range out of that. Yes, absolutely. And anyone who argues about that, just listen to the difference. And well, I get, understand. People end up, it end up, ends up getting squashed down to an MP3 and put in people's headphones. But still, like, yeah, if the source material is higher quality, mm-hmm. there's nothing. Even if, it, even if most of that gets take, stripped out by the MP3 encoding process. There's no reason not to have the source material be the highest quality you could possibly Absolutely. have it. You get more more fidelity, and that's that's really what it boils down to. And um, so there there's that. Um, so the first one, um, I I really appreciate uh, um, uh, Matthias Miller who actually mastered uh, Ready or Not. Um, he he and I sat down and he went through. He gave me a full tutorial on mixing, 
And, you know, I thought I knew about mixing, but he really helped me a lot. And uh, we we rescued that track as much as possible. Um, there were a lot of things um, on the initial rendering of that song, Ready or Not, that were wrong from the get-go. Like, for example, the bass was recorded way too hot, and that was very difficult to fix. Um, so, you know, and so I thought by taking out a lot more low end, I would fix that, but that really didn't save it. So never take, um, never take out the bottom end of your song. Right. And so, um, <laughs> so he helped me with that. He ended up mastering it and, uh, for free. And I, I have to give him that he really, I, I really appreciate it. He just liked the song and liked my playing, I guess. So, um, and you know, when we talked about possibly me doing a little bit of a quid pro quo and doing some album art for his, his music project in the future as well, cause I, he liked some of my art. So he's, he said, well, maybe, you know, in the future, if you want, you want to do an album cover for us, then that would be great. So I took all, I actually took notes during those sessions and I have, you know, tons of notebooks full of notes, um, about, you know, um, just basic mixing and how to mix reverb, how to EQ reverb, things like that. Things that I thought I knew, but you know, a lot of, a lot of that was just me being, um, a hack of all trades, I guess, <laughs> you know, um, I kind of guessed, you know, by ear, you know, most of my previous mixing, um, projects. And with this, I, I took some serious notes with old St. Jude. I applied all of that knowledge that I got from him. And, um, now am I doing his knowledge justice? I hope to some extent, you know, I learned a few other things, you know, about, um, layering vocals through that. Um, but I did a lot of layering of vocals, a lot of layering of guitars. Um, and, uh, just to get a really good panoramic scope, I sang all of the vocals, even the really high falsetto stuff and all the really low bass stuff. Um, and so, yeah, there, it, it came out pretty well. And the crazy story about that is, I think it was like a uh, Monday morning. I sat down and came up with the, the initial idea for the song. The next day, finished writing it, finished writing the lyrics. Um, the next morning, but this is all before I, I go to teach, you know, my, my teaching job. And, uh, I started tracking, you know, the, the virtual drums. I basically mapped road mapped out the basic structure, um, with the virtual drums and programmed all that. And, had it from beginning to end. I had a sense in my head as far as what it was going to sound like and as far as the dynamics and everything. And then I laid down the bass. And that was one of the things that Matthias actually told me is, you know, start with, uh, and I think he was quoting uh, Peter Gabriel and saying that Peter Gabriel actually starts with bass, drums, and vocals before even adding guitar or anything else. And if it, the song doesn't stand on its own without those three elements, then scrap it. And so I started out with basically just tracking bass drums vocals. And then I started adding guitar. And even then the guitar is very low in the mix, believe it or not. Um, and I think that um, the one thing that I learned in this whole process is that most people who are guitar players doing mixing put the guitars too loud. And they put, and you can barely hear the drums and the bass. And so, but really the bass drums vocals need to be in the forefront more than anything else. If you listen to most rock and pop music, bass, drums, vocals are the most prominent things in the mix. And well, I, I'm sure the, you would probably agree the, with this. The bass and the drums primarily because though that's what'll make your mm -hmm. car shake. Like Yeah, absolutely. Like and people like that, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's really what like I that. did with this. And if you listen to it, the bass and the drums are very prominent in the mix. 
But uh, the main thing is just uh, subtractive EQ and making sure that, you know, there's no conflicting, you know, uh, frequencies. And so that's what I really learned from that whole experience is getting everything as clear as possible. Rendering in a higher resolution also helps, but also subtracting all of those frequencies that are clashing with each other. Right. You don't want to, mud <clears throat> you don't want the guitar muddying up where the bass is supposed to be just because there's Absolutely some, not. just because the guitar does happen to put off some bass tones. You, you can't pull it all out because the guitar ends up sounding tinny, but you know, it's, right. yeah. I mean, I've, you know, I tried to write dance music for a long time, so I know exactly what you're talking about, where you, you, you want this, you, you know, you want this kind of wall of sound at, at least right. on the portions where that's appropriate. And yeah, you have to be, you, you have to be leaning on the EQ and you, that's not right. adding you're, you have taking, mm -hmm. taking things out makes this makes it sound fatter. Oh, absolutely. And mm -hmm. also with the vocals too, like just double tracking vocals. Um, I do like, I, I Oftentimes I'll do harmonies, but I'll also do um, an octave up and octave down that, but very, sometimes very low in the mix, uh, because you don't want it to be very, you don't want it to overpower the main vocal. Um, it's just there to kind of add this um, range in the tonal, in the sonic spectrum frequency wise. We might even just, just call it some it flavor. Yeah. You know, people might not even notice that you've done it. In fact, the, the, the point is that no one notices that you've done right. it. Right. <laughs> That's and, the point. But, but it, without it, something would be drastically missing. Right. And that's, you know, that's just because there's a big difference between like a live show and a studio mm -hmm. recording, whereas a Absolutely. live show, you don't, you, you don't need to triple up your vocals because there's the energy of the crowd. Everything's kind of mm -hmm. cranked up and you're not, you're not trying to record your album when you do a, when you no. do a live show. So, and we're a trio. So, which, which is probably my favorite, um, band you know, arrangement, you know, I really like to play it as a trio. Um, I like being able to do at least two, if not three part harmonies vocally. Um, and I, you know, and I, the way I play guitar, I like to fill a lot of space and, you know, there's no need for another guitar if I can do everything myself while singing. Um, and so far I've been able to pull it off. So, um, there's some things that, you know, are a little bit harder to pull off, you know, while I'm singing, but, um, you know, I just practice it and I try to, you know, do it to the best of my ability live. And so far it's been going pretty well. And we did uh, one thing I want to add with this song, the way that it, it sounds on the, on the track is very different than how we play it live. And the first show that I played under sons of Theo with the fill in band, we didn't even do it close to that. It sounded more like a Tom Petty song, um, which is not how I envisioned the song at all. Um, the way we do it live as a trio, it's more chugging and there it's more, it sounds very black Sabbath, you know, and which is how I initially envisioned it in the first place. But I really wanted to give it the recording more dynamic range by adding the acoustic guitars. And even then I layered the acoustic guitars, um, did alternate chord voicings, just pan it in stereo. So it had a bigger, bigger sound basically. And it almost sounds like a 12 string at a couple spots. Great. And, uh, before I wanted to, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about first, I wanted to talk a little bit about how, uh, the pandemic actually gave a lot of people a bit of a push to, uh, to, to learn more. And then during the post game, I actually want to talk about the San Jose music scene. I always put that stuff in the post game because people end up, people end up, you know, maybe not, maybe not always for public consumption. So mm -hmm. did, and I, you know, I can just speak for myself here. Uh, during the pandemic, I basically quit my day job and decided that I was going to, suffer to do what i had to do i kept a couple clients and now i'm uh you know doing uh, echoplex 
more or less full time. I have a couple clients that I really mm-hmm. really like to work for and don't want to leave mm-hmm. them high and dry. Um, was did the pandemic also provide a push for you as far as uh, fat hat music goes? Oh, absolutely. And that, um, because before I, you know, I, I was, um, you know, uh, teaching at, uh, um, the school in Palo Alto and, um, uh, you know, and I was there, you know, a few days during the week. And then I also had my students who uh, actually pre pandemic, I, um, my students in the East Bay, I was renting a studio. I was subletting a studio from another teacher who was also, you know, renting from this, it was kind of a rehearsal space slash teaching space slash recording studio. Um, and uh, I don't want to name the studio because there's a whole bunch of stuff that that happened with that that I don't want to get into. But um, basically, um, so I was renting that and I was even paying rent on the space uh, while we were in lockdown. And that went on for several months. And I just basically went to the guy who was subletting for me and said, hey, you know, I'm paying for this and I don't know when we're going to come out of this. Um, it really seems stupid for me to keep paying for this space that I'm not even using. And so, um, that kind of pushed me. So, and at that point, my, um, this is before my wife and I got married, we actually were renting a house in Newark and then we moved to union city and, um, we, um, we got a much bigger house and I was able to put together. So my studio in union in, uh, Newark was actually in this kind of slightly, um, finished part of the garage. And then we moved here and we actually had this, we had tons of extra room. And so I was able to turn this room into my studio. I was able to do some acoustical treatment. Um, I was able to expand my stu- my um, rack setup um, with my mic pre's and you know and uh, just make it a little bit more streamlined. And it, for me, it really pushed me to actually think about okay, if we don't come out of this, and let's say I need to you know, and the school you know something happens to the school th- gig, you know, I want really want to come up with something that you know will be equitable long term and be profitable something that you know i could even earn you know uh, passive income from you know and so i had this idea that uh, what if like long term i have you know a subscription based you know um, online platform where people can sign up and get you know they can you know take uh, they have unlimited access uh, to video tutorials and sheet music I'm still a ways off from doing that specifically, um, but it still pushed me to kind of consider what are my options. And, uh, you know, and my wife kept pushing me to finish my, I had like at least four or five books that I was working on simultaneously because, you know, as we talked about, even the last time I was on here, you know, um, I tend to uh, take on a billion different projects at once, you know, and that's kind of the idea of Fat Hat is like just this, you know, uh, this bottomless pit of creative ideas. It's like, I constantly have all these ideas that I want to do and I'll start them, but it, then it takes me forever to finish any of them. And so, um, so she pushed me, just finish one, just, you know, finish, commit to it and finish it. And so, you know, that's kind of, um, so that that's part of, you know, it was part pandemic part, you know, you know, having a partner who actually pushes you to complete something too, um, which is a good thing, you know, in my case, it's good for me. Well, that's, that's great. Yeah. There's a, you know, everybody that we've talked to, well, there are bands that we talked to that they were like, Hey, you know, we're just not very, none of us are very techno technologically. Uh-oh. What's happening. Uh, what do you mean? Oh, YouTube started to launch for some reason. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. um, my, my monitor is doing something weird. Hold oh. on one second, man. Yep. Uh, Oh, 
Okay, hold on one second. There's a device that's connected to my thing. Hold on. There's some weird stuff happening. It's funny. As soon as I mentioned technology, your 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 computer went on the fritz. <laughs> hold on. Is there any way to um, just hold on one second? Yeah, sure. Okay, hold on. Um, is there any way you can go to a song real, really quick? Oh, okay, that's disconnected. Someone was actually, someone in my house was actually connected to my, um, somehow connected to, oh man, I don't know how to disconnect this. Hold on one second. We can, uh, we can, we can close out the uh, more formal part of the interview here, I suppose. Everybody, this has been a Ryan Acosta from Sons of Theo. He was in a band called Divided by Seven. We're going to rock a jam by Divided by Seven, and we'll come back with a little bit of post-game for uh, my members. And, of course, for anybody in Ryan's community who uh, would like to download it, we'll make it available, too. This sure. is uh, Narrative by Divided by Seven. We'll be back in a minute. Yeah. 
every Saturday is Cat Day on Echoplex Media, and not only are we posting fucking cats, we invite all content creators to join our open panel. Visit echoplexmedia.com slash panel to learn how to join. Every third Saturday is Operation Catterday, where we cover this week and last year and play the best clips from the cast of conspiracy characters that Now Space has learned to loathe. The show starts at 8 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com.